share their testimony. And one of the challenges you have when you do something like that is, you know, it's like if you've ever gone, uh, you're hungry, and you get a, you want a particular something to eat, and you go to the restaurant, and they go all out of that. We've got this, and it's real good, but it's not what you wanted. So we understood that, you know, it, let, me, let me bring it home. Some of you look like you still don't get it. Go to visit another church, and they have a communion. Now, communion's not bad. It's spiritual, but you were going to, you wanted to hear a certain pastor preach or something, and, go that, and so you know how you, how you do, how we do. And so that was the challenge that was in our minds today as we were doing this, but we had to be obedient to the Lord. Sharing your testimony is the same thing. Sometimes you got to stretch out in a danger zone. It's not really a danger zone, but it's an uncomfortable zone. It's a new, it's a new place, amen? So I need you to be awake. I need you to talk to me, and I'm going to try to move through this thing. Is that all right? All right, the first thing I got to do is I got to be honest with you. Because we're up here trying to, you know, help people, teach them how to, how to evangelize, how to share your faith. I got to make a confession. I can't teach you that. Do you feel me? Yeah. I cannot teach you how to win souls for Christ. I know that's what my section is titled, How to Win a Soul for Christ, but I cannot teach you how to win a soul for Christ. Can I tell you why I can't teach you that? Because if it was as easy as giving you a couple of pointers, then the whole world would be saved. You see, winning a soul to Christ is not just a natural thing. See, you and I are natural. Natural woman, natural man. Natural man, natural woman. We're natural. Amen? But there's a supernatural part to winning a soul to Christ. It's not just giving information. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I can't really teach you. What I can do is I can give you maybe a couple of pointers. The other thing is, and I want you to remember this because I want to say it at the end, winning or leading a soul to Christ is not taught, it's caught. Have you ever ridden a skateboard? How many of you ever learned how to ride a skateboard? Okay? Or a bicycle, anything with balance. Ice skates, roller skates. Okay? A person can tell you a couple of things but did you automatically, because they told you, well, just pedal? Come on, little Martin, just pedal. Just ride it down to the corner, little Martin, tell the train was up. Was it that easy, little buddy, Martin? No. Huh? Well, you know, Leoma, you just jump on, you just push off the legs, and you just jump on, just keep looking ahead. It's, it's something, there's something that you just can't be talked through. They can give you some pointers, but then you have to go out and you have to catch it. You have to trial and error. It's caught. It's not taught. You understand what I'm saying? So if you're looking, if you're looking, if you paid money to come to this seminar, <laughs> and you might want to get your money back right now. But I'm here to tell you, I'm being honest, I gotta start with soul winning is an internal, internal supernatural process that makes this manifestation on the outward natural man. What this means is that we in our own power can never win souls. However, we can help facilitate the process as co-laborers with Christ. We can be in the birthing room. Amen? Now, you don't have this in the notes that I got. I got the teacher's edition. Because, you know, the teacher's edition's always got to be a little more than the, you know, if I gave you everything I had, then you wouldn't need me. Come on, I tell our security, this is a hard economy, right? Come on now. So what part of it is supernatural? What part of soul winning is supernatural? Um, let, me, let, me, let me get you to get into your word. Go to John 12, 31. Let's go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, if you have your Bible. You should have your Bible. You can't win no soul if you don't have a Bible. Right. Come on. 
Somebody there? Okay. Now will somebody stand up in an aloud booming voice? Just 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 read just read uh, verses thirty-one through thirty-six. Whoever stands up, go ahead, Marty. Well, I know you would. In a loud booming voice. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Stop. You want to highlight that. If who is going to draw men to him? I. But who is that I? Is that Mark? No, that's right. Amen. Okay. So that's the supernatural. Because you and I are the natural. We, we can't draw, we can't draw nobody. Most of us can't draw a crowd unless it's the police. <laughs> and you don't have to raise your hand as to who you are. We, we've got some ideas, but we don't. No, nothing confirmed yet. Nothing confirmed yet. Continue on. Continue on. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him. We have heard out of the law that Christ abided forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of life. Amen. Okay, so it says that you and I, with part of ourselves, if we don't have the light, we're walking in what? We don't know where the heck we're going. Oh, you actually do. You're going to hell if you don't have the light. Amen. That's where we're going. You may get there in a Cadillac, you may get there on a bus, but that's where you're going. Going to hell. But when you have Jesus, okay, we're children of darkness. So if you're a child of darkness, the only thing that you can produce is darkness. You need a supernatural injection of light to be able to produce light. Amen? So if you want to be, if you really want to be uh, co-laborers with Christ, if you want to be part of that birthing process, that reproduction process of creating disciples, you yourself have to have light in you. Are you in your word? Huh? Are you in your word? You know, when we, did, when, we did, when we did the crusade, and everybody remembers the MC that we had for the concert. Okay, you remember the MC? Yeah. Remember the crusade, Megan? Yeah. Megan, Megan, don't call her Megan, call her Megan. Okay, but as soon as everybody saw her and saw her in her gift and her personality, and you saw that last name, what did you say? It made sense, didn't it? Mama's bold, charismatic, comes with everything she got, daughter's gonna come the same way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you don't have God in your personal life, then how are you going to have God in your witness to lead somebody to Christ? So it's not technique. You have to abide. Jesus called this supernatural process abiding. Pastor Brian, if you can go to John 15, verse 1 through 8. If you can read the first four and somebody can read the last four. John 15, is two chapters over. Okay. Uh, it says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Before we go on any further, this is a commercial and it's a warning. We think God is play play, Pastor Brian, so we got a sin issue. Do you understand that God is serious? God says, I have called you. You are abiding. You are attached to me. I expect you to bear fruit personally first and then outward. If you are not bearing fruit, you came into the church and you had a temper. You came into the church and you was a luster. You know, you was one of the brothers that stood on the corner, hands in your pockets, looking at every girl going down. So now, 10 years later, you're still in the church, but you sit in the back in your suit and tie, still looking around. Oh, boy, yeah, I'd like to show her a little bit of the Bible Oh, yeah. Come on, now. Come on, over there. I wait, wait till the church gets up talking about the Jesus and me loving the Jesus. And you still that same way. You produce no fruit, there's no change in your personal life, and you've led no one to Christ because it's going to start. If there's nothing growing in you, there's nothing going to be growing around you. When was the last time you led someone to Christ? I don't have to. I'm just saying, God expects us to bear fruit. And the thing about it, I didn't see any way any reason the evangelist, the pastor, the Bible worker, uh uh. God expects everybody Amen. to bear fruit. And then what did he say, Pastor? If it's not bearing fruit, he does what? Cuts it off. Cuts it off. Some of us, boy, the axe is already like, you know, we love the way that John said that to the Pharisees. But do you know that John and the Holy Ghost are saying that to us right now? Some of us, the axe is already at the root. Wow. Wow. You better stop playing around. Okay? Come on, Pastor. You just finish this out. Says, uh, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Amen. So it's supernatural connected with the natural. But now to understand, now here's some of the practical things. Because it is supernatural. There's some things that we cannot understand. I don't understand how the Holy Spirit moves on a heart. Okay, I'm a pastor, I get up here, I'm in the Word, but I don't understand that. I can, I can glimpse around the edges where God reveals it, but where God doesn't reveal it, I don't know. I can't search that out. It's too deep. It's too wonderful for me. But there are some practical things because it's a supernatural connected to a natural process. Amen? Amen. Jesus says that he is the light, but the light must be held up. Amen? That's the natural process, to hold up the light. That's what we're called to do. But Jesus is the outshining of the Father's glory. Okay? So there's some, there are some things that we can give you that is on the natural, the practical. Okay? You have to understand the practical aspect. Conversion from a practical aspect, how does it work? Okay? How does it work? And then again, this goes back to what we just read in John 15 before I move on. And in John 12, it goes back to what Pastor Brian just said. Because Pastor Brian said, <clears throat> talking talk about love, hope, and faith. If you are not abiding in Christ, you have no love. For God is love. You have no hope. For your hope is in things that are going to perish. You have no hope. And you have no faith if you're not in Christ. Amen? So it, it all ties in. And we did not compare notes. We just went to the, we went to the Word. Because God is not going to be confusing about Himself. Amen? Okay. Conversion and, and how it works. You've got to understand some things, the, the, the practical aspect of conversion. Everybody has a will. 
That is that ability to choose. Okay? Do you have to understand how the will works? And I love this quote right here. It says, the process of conversion is all about the will of a person. You understand what I'm saying? The will is centered in the brain. Nerve cells grouped in the forefront of the cerebrum, cerebrum control your reason, memory, and higher emotions. And the will. That's where they believe the will is. This common location suggests that the will constitutes one of the higher cortical functions of the brain. Okay, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. And I could, if I try to say certain those words fast, I'll mess up the pronunciation of them. Okay? But I know someone who knows someone who made the brain. I believe that this person was inspired, and this is what they wrote. Because they know God. And God knows the brain because he made it. This inspired writer says the will is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or choice. Every human being processed of possessed of reason has the power to choose the right. Educate us from the book on education, page 289 is also in there, I think in Desire of Ages. Okay? So if you're going to, if you're going to try from a practical aspect to try to help a person facilitate them in the process of choosing Christ. You gotta understand it is the will and how the will works. Most of us don't ever understand how a person receives information and makes a decision. Okay? Here's the first point. I'm just gonna give you three points. First point logic and reason, the process of receiving, sifting through, and weighing information play an important part in a soul's conversion. You understand what I'm saying? Now, how do we, how does logic, logic and reason? work? Well, I'll tell you this. We relate to the world and the universe around us through the receiving and processing of constant incoming stream of information. We call that a state of our awareness or a state of consciousness. Okay? That's how you and I relate and interact to the world. You know that you're in a building, Yama. How do you know? You see it. You know that I'm speaking. How do you know? You know if, if, if something was burning, how would we know? Right? Good. You know when you're in pain, how do you know? You feel it. Do you understand? And so we take all of these things and we go, something's burning. Oh my gosh, it's my hand or it's my jacket because I feel it. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how we process. That's how we come to our decisions. That's how we know, okay, I need this. I don't want to hit that cat in the road. I need to hit the brakes on the car. Okay, I need to do it this much because if I do it too hard, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna squeak. That's how we process. That's how we relate and interact to the world all around us. Kobe Bryant has that ability to shake dudes. I'm gonna go this way, but I'm gonna take the ball to go that way. Come here, that hand-eye coordination to make those split-second decisions as he's reacting to the changing environments around him. It's the same process when you were trying to reach somebody with the gospel of Christ. It's that incoming stream of information. But now the question is, what information are they getting? Mm. And do you notice that you have well, in, in, in our, 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 our giant receptor of information to the world and universe around us is our head? Four out of your five senses are all in your head. And the fifth one is universal, sense of touch. Okay? 
But when you look at how we receive information, we have two eyes, two ears, two nostrils. If you got to breathe and smell, you only have one mouth. The mouth is really just to feed the body, and, and, that's, and the mouth is how you relate how you feel to the rest of the world. But it's interesting, you don't have two mouths, you only have one mouth. Because it's more important to income and receive what surrounds you, and then you can relate to what goes out. Because you see, as I'm incoming, as I'm looking at this room, this is one, to share with you my information, this is coming from one person. But I have to look engaged. Are they with me? Am I connecting? Are they falling asleep? Do I got to move faster? Do I got to come over here and say this? Do I got to reflect my voice? I've got to process. You have two of everything except one mouth. In every sense that you have for logic and reason to make a choice, to make a choice for good or bad, you have two incomings and you only have one outgoing device. Two ears, two eyes, two nostrils, one mouth. Incoming is more important than outgoing. Okay? So you need to understand that. So now, when a person comes into this church, we're trying to hit them with the gospel. You're telling them about the gospel. You're telling them that this is what they need, this is the church that they want and stuff. They make that decision process based on the information that they're receiving. What kind of information does a person get when they look at Imani. When they experience Imani. You see, because don't tell me about God. Show me God. You see, Jesus is the good news. And we who are followers of Christ are news reporters. That's all we are. We're witnesses or news reporters. Uh, and you have the text there, Matthew 24, 14. You just go through in your leisure. But we're just, we're just to relay that good news. We're just reporters. A reporter has to give an accurate account. So now when a person comes in there and they experience Imani, don't tell me a sermon. Don't preach me a sermon. Show me a sermon. Don't tell me about God. Show me God. What then does a person get incoming when they hang out at Imani? Do they walk away saying, God is an open and inviting God? Do they leave saying, God is an organized or sloppy God? Do they leave knowing that God really cares about them, or is he more interested in their money? Do they understand that, or, or, or do they know that, can God really impart his holiness to others? You see, you're telling me that God can impart his holiness to others, but I went out to the back and I saw two of your deacons getting ready to get into a fist fight. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I heard the sermon. The sermon was good, but I'm looking. Then I went to the to, to the to the social, the social function, and, and, and I saw the men, and I saw the pastors coming like like lions, but just hoarding their position to get food first. But then they say the guys don't respect their persons. They bowled over the women, barked commands at them. Hmm? I came in and, 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 and in the back, the deacon was trying to restore, keep order, but then the deacon got a little gangster, you know? And then we laughed. But all of those things, I'm not saying they happened here, I'm just saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? The whole world, as Pastor Brian says, has an issue with integrity. Because everywhere they look, everybody talked a good Tiger talked a good game. Everybody thought. Tiger was different. 
Tiger turned out to be worse than all the others. That's why it's such a big thing. The governor of New York, Spitzer, he was supposed to be the law and order guy. Okay? He's law and order morality, morality. He's going around doing things and getting other politicians that are dipping and dabbing. And it turns out he's dipping and dabbing too. That's what made it worse. And so people have an issue, an integrity issue. Can I trust you? Is this a safe place? Do you talk a good game? Do you live it or do you talk it? That's what people are looking for when they want to know, is the gospel real? So how we conduct ourselves as a church family, how we treat each other, Jesus said it right there, by this sign. I know a lot of people go around talking about tongues. And they want to do the dance, and then that event is coming. It's the Sabbath and the sanctuary, isn't it? And we want to do that. And the Baptists come and say you must be immersed. And the Catholics come and tell you it's about tradition. Jesus said, man, you're missing the point. You want some power? Just love each other. Because that's so foreign, people will stop. On the video last night that we were watching, we're going to go through the story of Abraham. When Abraham came to Sodom, and, you know, he, probably, he got his nephew back and he came to Sodom. It was common tradition that he would take the money. The king offered him the money. When you've done this and like you've defeated our enemies, we give you so much of the money. Abraham said, I don't even want it. You don't think that made him pause? Money? See, the world is looking for the genuine. What the world sees now are Christians just perpetrating. We do everything that the world does. And we crave money just like the world does. We just try to dress it up now and say, God wants you to be rich. And which is why when you see church folk, and we've got desensitized to it, but you ever sit around people that aren't from the church and watch them watch televangelists? They look at them like, man, well, that guy's kind of expensive suit, ain't it? Crefo? Uh huh? <laughs> the brother got books. He's trying to sell you books. He's doing all of this and that and that. And I'm not saying that God tells you to be poor either. But what's happening is the world looks like these TV evangelists think they got the big house, their dogs in the air conditioned thing. It's a money game. Because that's how people process information. So we need to be very careful the things that we send out. That's right. Amen? You can't just preach about it. We've got to be about it. It's because people process through logic, through what they see, what they receive. Okay? So you got to ask yourself the question, what does your individual witness and your collective witness and money tell people about God? That's the litmus test. That's the litmus test. We must always remember that our actions speak louder than our singing and praise. Our actions speak louder than our sermons. Our actions speak louder than our doctrines. A person's logic and reason challenges us as Christians and as money praise fellowship, saying to us all, don't just tell me about your God. Show me your God. Is God inviting? Is God inviting? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have invited somebody home? We've got some people in here that have been in this church for a long time. And I can tell you right now, pretty confidently, no one's invited them to their home. Now, how does that happen? That happens because we forget the second, the second practical part of ministry. Point two, practical ministry makes earnest appeals to a person's logic and reason. Hospitality evangelism and the strangers within our gates. 
Let me give you an old African proverb. It takes a village, a church, to save and keep a soul. Do you understand what I'm saying? What happens is many times churches don't grow and God, and it's not always about going out. You gotta do that too. But man, we've had a lot of visitors. But what happens when visitors come in, God will send you people and we let them, we let them get away. Why? Because we always assume that somebody else is going to cover them. I love the emphasis on hospitality in the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The two angels came down, and they just looked like men, because angels would do that every now and again. I think somewhere in the New Testament, Jesus said something about that, didn't he? I, I don't know. What do I know? But here it is. The angels are just strolling in. They're just rolling. Come on, get up here with me. He's really not an angel. I need to get Brother Harold. He's a fallen angel. Come on, come on, Pastor. But we're just strolling. We're just strolling in town, and a brother says, Whoa, visit. Stop. stop. Boom. Okay? And he basically begged those guys to come to his house. He begged them. He said, If you don't come to my house, I almost take it as a personal affront. You have to have that desire for the stranger in the gate. But it wasn't just Lot. That was the custom, the, the, the Middle East ancient custom in those days, to show hospitality. Abraham saw him, and before he recognized him, he saw the three, and before he recognized they were God, he saw him at a distance. It is the hospitality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you remember the other story in Judges 19 and 20? God goes to get his, uh, he goes to get his, his, his concubine. Concubine ran away. He goes to get her. And he goes to a certain, I forget what tribe it was. Was it tribe of Benjamin? I think it was tribe of Benjamin. A certain city, and it was in the area of the tribe of Benjamin. He goes to get his concubine, and the guy says, look, you're here. Come and stay with me. You know, come and stay with me. And the guy threw him a feast. He didn't know this man for anything. But if you're a stranger and I lay eyes on you, it's my personal responsibility to show you hospitality. Show you hospitality. The men of the city came, and they wanted the man. And they wanted the concubine. And the guy was like, please don't do this because this man has found shelter under the shadow of my roof. If you wrong him under my roof, you cannot, don't do this to me. He's under the shelter, under the protection, under the sanctity of my roof. That is the way we need to be with every person that comes here. It needs to be our personal responsibility to say, what can I do to make sure that you'll stay here at Imani because you are under my roof. I can't sit there and go, well, you know, Sister Tammy always does, uh, she's going to invite him. The brands are going to invite him. When you do that, shame on you. Shame on you. Because that's how people get left in the cracks. It's all of our responsibilities. It takes a village to save a soul, to win a soul, and to keep a soul. And when they came and they got that man, and they wanted him. And the man said, basically like Lot, he said, look, don't do this. I'll give you my daughters. Take the concubine, but don't take the man. And you know the story, those of you who remember it. They had, the men had their way with them until the young lady died in the morning. The man came out in the morning, picked up his concubine, cut her up, and sent pieces to all the different tribes of Israel. And when they all saw that, they were all so angered because they had violated such a sacred thing the importance of hospitality, that they went up and rose up against their brothers and they all said, let us come together from every tribe and we are going to go to Benjamin and surround that city and tell them if they don't send the people out 
that perpetrated that, we're going to fight them and go to war against our brothers. And they did. That's how important that is. And you need to understand that God has a soft spot for strangers. Amen. Some of God's favorite people in the Bible and in history were strangers. Abraham was a stranger. Jacob was a stranger. Joseph was a stranger. Moses was a stranger. Joshua was a stranger. Daniel was a stranger. Jesus was a stranger. That is why when God got the children of Israel and they started their own nation, God put laws in place on how they were to treat strangers. I asked a question one time. Some people that have been here for a minute. And people say, oh, don't, don't do that, Pastor. No, sometimes we got to be shamed. So it is stop. It's accountability. I need you to hold me accountable, Joe, because if you don't, I will never go past my comfort zone. Because what happens is we will do stuff, we, we, we will psych ourselves out. Well, you know, I've always had a temper. Okay, well, you're converted. You need to grow up. Well, I always, you know, I always had a kind of a foul mouth. Oh, you need to grow up. You see, we don't challenge each other. We just, well, you know, that's just the way they always are. <laughs> and so we're all just coming in on one day a week thinking that we're saved, thinking that we're growing, and we're not. And God is, and we don't even know. We opened up our eyes and the angels all around with hatchets, laying at our feet. You need to be consistent. And, 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 and I'm going to tell you, the world, you're being watched. The world always knows when we miss them. Hmm? You know why? Can I let you know a secret? Because the devil is the accuser of brethren. But we know that going in. So don't claim it if you ain't going to try to maintain it. Okay? Hospitality evangelism. So when you see someone, let me, let me, let me share why this is practical. Because a person comes to church, and one week, you're invited. You came, and you came from a distance, and you came with your family, and they had a great service, everything, and everybody leaves, and nobody invited you. What's your honest thought? Come on. There's other places people can go. People choose to be here. Why is it you're going to come somewhere to be mistreated or ignored? You have to fall over them. Yes. And people go, well, that's not my personality. Grow up. That's God's personality. That's the example. Stop talking about what you ain't. It ain't about you. We all do that. We all talk about, well, this is my strength. This is my way. God says I can do all things in Christ Jesus. My goal is to be like Jesus. Jesus is the model. It ain't about Anthony. It ain't about you. It ain't about you. It ain't about Grow up. And let us challenge each other in love. Shape up or ship up. You know, in the Navy, even in the Navy, in the Marines, and in the Army, all the services, you got a PT exam. If you can't do the minimum, oh, brother, they're going to make life hard on you until you can. You're supposed to be able to run a mile or a mile and a half in so many minutes. Period. They don't care about your body type. Well, you know, I wasn't really built for running. Yeah? We're going to change that, brother. Sister. They will have you out there every day, in the heat, in the morning, running three times a day until you make that time. And eventually, if you don't make that time, after something, just get, they prune you. Get out. Just out. That's the church of God. 
we just got so happy we just accept anything. We got more dead weight than we know anything else. Okay? God is saying it's time to shake up. The other thing. So people, what do you see? Are you a loving church? Be a loving church. Whatever God is supposed to be, that's what you and I are supposed to be. And we're all supposed to be responsible. All of us have a, have a, a responsibility to lock in on the visitor. To lock in on the stranger. To make the call. I don't know that person that well. Don't you know? Don't you know? That God gave that God gave the principle, and Pastor Brian alluded to it earlier, and it's in Philippians 3, I believe, where he talks about one waters, another comes behind, another one plants, another comes behind the waters, another comes behind the harvest. That's that principle. So, okay, so maybe now it was my buddy's turn to call Mark. Hey man, where you been, brother? Checking up on you. How you doing, man? Okay, but see, Martin's going to expect that from me. If I'm missing a couple seven, I'm going to expect that from Mark. Somebody, your friend that you know for long, they're going to expect that. That means it's something. It means something, but I already knew that you love me. But now, if another person calls, I don't want to get calls from, hey, man, we missed you. Where you been? How you been doing? I know I don't know you that well, but just to let you know, then I'm like, man, I'm making a difference. Do you understand that principle? So we got to break out of the clique. If we say that this is God's house, the house of prayer for all people, we need to make it an open house. Amen. If we say that everyone is important, then it just can't be everyone that I know well. God is not asking you to be buddies, best buddies with everybody, but he is asking you to show love and make the effort. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, one last thing, one last thing. What the world needs now is Christ's first evangelism. And I'm going to close out with this. True evangelism. You want to win souls to Christ, you got to be about Christ first and not denomination. Do you know why I'm here today? He got me. I was raised in Seventh-day Adventist Christian. But you know who got me back in church when I... It's time for me to go to Oakwood. I didn't want to Oakwood. <laughs> what you going to do? I want to be a Broadway actor. My grandfather, who was vice president, assistant to the vice president of the board, the vice president of the board of education in the state of New York, gave me this whole big long lecture. You know, artistic people starve, and you know, look at your uncle Johnny, and artists are never famous until they're dead. You know, so I said, okay. So to appease him, you know, I became a telecommunication specialist in the Navy, and I was going to do four years to get out and pursue my acting, have my little trade, whatever. But you know, when I got into the Navy, and I was wild. You know who brought me back to the Adventist Church? It was a brother by the name of Vince Hayes, who was older, a little older than me, on the ship of Christian Black guy from Atlanta, Atlanta. <clears throat> they used to call him Bear and call me Cuff, because Vince was always, he said that he saw something different in me from all the other guys, even though I was wild, I was wild. I was, getting, I was wild. <laughs> but he said, but I know that you have, you know the Lord. And so he kept trying to press me to come to church with him. And I didn't church. I did not want to hear about church. So he came and he said, man, he said, look, Cub, you need to come to church with me next week. And I'm trying to die. So I'm running from God. I'm like, man, get away, Vince. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, stop playing around, Vince. He said, no, 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 you need to come to church with me. I said, look, look, man, look. What faith are you, man? What are you? He said, Baptist. I said, oh, man, I can't do that, bro. I'm a seven-day event. I go to church on Saturday, thinking I have my escape plan. But see, Vince wasn't trying to lead me to become a Baptist. 
He was trying to get me back to God. He just looked at me. He didn't even back. He didn't even struggle with it. He just looked at me and he said, really? He said, you know, this is the Seventh-day Adventist church, right? <laughs> <laughs> From my church. His church is Greater Trinity Baptist Church, which is on the on Ocean View Boulevard in San Diego, right around the corner on 31st and Franklin's 30. He was the first one to take me to 31st. He says, right around the corner from my church, I, I tell you what, I'll take you to your Adventist church, and then on Sunday you come to me in my church. Just listen. <laughs> he had me. I, I was so stunned, because that had always worked in the past with other people. You know? And sure enough, I mean, I was just like, oh, okay. And so, you know, that Sabbath, I'm in the car with a Baptist brother. He was a deacon at his church. He's the head deacon at his church, as a matter of fact. And he's taking me, and he went right past the church. He goes, look, see, this is my church. And then we took the corner, and there was three more. First time I ever laid eyes on 31st Street. But let me tell you how good God was when we got in there. The guy from the priest, I forgot his name, he tore me up. And at the end, you know, he's coming out and he's greeting everybody. We're telling him the story, and it turns out that the guy goes, I used to be a Baptist minister. God moves in mysterious ways. Now, I don't know what happened to Vince. You know, years ago, I know he stayed at his church, but that's even unimportant. That's not important. What I'm saying is, as Adventists, we all keep trying to get people to come to become Adventists. That's not what God tells you to do. He said, he didn't say, he says, if I be lifted up, Stop letting things get in the way of people coming to Christ. It's not meant for everybody right now to come to the Sabbath. Now, I'm not saying you don't share that with them. But make sure in your sharing, you're trying to connect them to Christ. I always figure if I get to Christ, then in his own time, he'll bring all the flocks together. I just need to be in one of his flocks. So if I meet a person and they're a church of God in Christ, and I know that they're going to have a hard time coming to church, I don't sit there and all right, I'm done with you. I say, brother, you know, I got a friend that is, is a nice Church of God, kind of Kojic Church, right around the corner. I got some friends that go there, brother. I'm trying to get them to Christ. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then there are those that will come to my church. So your 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 witnessing needs to be Christ first. And the reason why I say that is because another another thing, and I'll example on this. I had another friend, a musician. We were in a jazz band together, and my wife knows him. His name is Tony Blank. And Tony was very, man, very intellectual. I think the guy was, he had to be high Mensa. Very cerebral and very, uh, he just really didn't believe in God. But anyway, I got him to read a book by Morris Vanden. Not Morris Vanden, by George Vanden. He loved it. Came back, he wrote them on books, man. And he just kept having me give him books, books, books. After a while, I started just giving him books. Every book I get from Morris Vanderbilt, George Vanderbilt, I give it to him. After the third book, and he said, you know what? He said, um, I don't want to read that guy anymore. I said, why? This is just a word to the wise. He said, because every book, everything always comes back to the Sabbath. Now, as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, I understand the importance of the Sabbath. But, it's, but what he said, and sometimes we have to take critical... Um, we have to take observations, honest, open, honest observations from people outside of our faith. Because otherwise, we're just preaching the Adventist. Do you understand? I don't agree with everything that Adventist says, but sometimes you need to get it from someone sincerely so you understand how to better present it. I will make you fishers of men. Sometimes we get so denominationally sensitive and protective that we can't even do honest critiques of each other to be more effective in sharing our faith. Amen. 
He said every book, everything became the Sabbath. The Sabbath. And, at first he, and he started to wonder, was the Sabbath more important than Christ? Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you witness, there is a way that you witness. People cannot make decisions. Cannot make decisions if they do not have adequate information. So before you press a person to try to make a decision for Christ, or to make a decision about a church, make sure that they have adequate information. If you don't know something, be open and honest. And two, the last thing, be genuine. Yes. If you're just looking for a body count, people need to know that you really care about them. I close with this. There's a church that is growing off the charts. It is incredible how fast this church is growing. And, and I listen to this preacher because I'm trying to understand really on how to grow churches. And he said, you know, when people come in, he said, look, we're, we're, we're in Cleveland, we're in the hood. He's like, I get a lot of guys coming out of Ace Cons, a lot of cats from the street. They come in, they got their hats on. Now, you know, he goes, church folk know you don't wear your hats in church. He goes, but what I'll do when they come in, I've instructed my digging, sir, can you take off your hat? I ain't taking off my hat, bro. All right, brother. Have a blessed day. Go we enjoy the service. They let him in. He said, why am I going to let somebody's hat come between them and Christ? Get your priorities straight. <clears throat> he says, you know what happens? I see that guy, three weeks later, he's been coming to service with the hats off. <laughs> so we got to stop tripping on jewelry. I'm not saying these things are not important. I'm just saying what is cutting away everything? What is the main thing? Get a person to Christ. Show them that Christ cares about them. Show them that Christ loves them. And show yourselves righteous. Because if they don't see righteousness in you, then why do they believe and waste their time believing God can impart righteousness to them? We have to, we have to be what we say we are. Don't preach me, God. Show me God. Amen.